Reporting is Eligible is proudly supported by Appleton Coffee Company. They're a small local roaster in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I make a pot of their Packerland breakfast blend just about every morning. I also have a very large bag of the barrel-aged coffee that I enjoy on the weekends. If you go to appletoncoffee.com and use code RAE at checkout, you'll save yourself 10% and you will support the show. Once again, that's appletoncoffee.com, code RAE at checkout. everybody, welcome to an off-season reporting is eligible. Uh, I'm Paul Noonan. This is a, a special little uh, two-parter, or it'll all be one part to you, but split into two halves. Um, for the first half, we uh, had a, the pleasure of interviewing Nathan Cooper and John Todd of Sports Info Solutions, um, a, a, an outfit that does a great job at blending analytics and scouting together. Um, they've re- recently released their draft handbook, um, the SIS 2021 Rookie Handbook. Both Nathan and John worked on it. Um, it's fantastic. If you, like me, don't really care for these sort of bog-standard draft books and like a little more statistical rigor to it they do a really good job there um, if you're not familiar with sports info solutions um, they have a very nice free database uh, if you just need a, a better read on some some scouting grades on um, individual players uh, with a, a little more rigor than you normally would get it's a good place to go they, they do have a free database you can use for it um, and you may also know SIS just from um, the Off the Charts podcast, if you listen to that one too. Um, Matt Manicharian is uh, from SIS and hosts that with Aaron Schatz. So um, they do a very nice job on the first half of this podcast, breaking down what the Packers' big needs are, where they might go in the draft, some good candidates that they might actually be targeting. Um, and we talk also a little bit about um, Jordan Love, whether they could have gotten better value at quarterback this season, and uh, some some past grades as well. So check that out. On the second half, um, I was joined by Tex Western, the man- managing editor of Acme Packing Company, just to talk about the recent Packer news, the lack of franchise tagging, Aaron Jones moving on, um, the salary cap, and all of the potential problems that it may be driving, um, and what the Packers are going to do here to fill some roster holes without a lot of money to work with. So um, thanks to uh, Nathan and John and Tex for joining me on this episode, and everybody, enjoy. All right, we have uh, a few special guests this episode. Um, we have Nathan Cooper and John Todd from Sports Info Solutions. Uh, they recently published the 2021 Sports Info Solutions Rookie Handbook. Both of them were contributors to it. Uh, and wanted to have them on just because um, they really take, I would say, a more analytics approach to the draft than a lot of other outlets do. If you're used to seeing your Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay type guides, they're all fine. They all give you fine information. But um, SIS, I think, is a really rigorous way that they go about grading and projecting people. And you know, if you're a listener to this podcast and you're looking for a draft guide more along the lines of uh, how we kind of typically take in football and statistics, this is a good way to go. So um, Nathan, Jonathan, or John, thank you for joining me here. Yeah, really appreciate you having us. Uh, you know, at SIS, uh, you know, I won't confuse anybody. Me and John are scouts uh, first and foremost. But, you know, at SIS, we love to combine the uh, the scouting approach uh, to the analytical approach. And, and hopefully that kind of gives everybody, um, you know, both sides of the story. And, you know, with the uh, football rookie handbook, we, we love, uh, you know, combining those things and giving everyone, you know, the, the opportunity and chance to look at everything, uh, you know, on their own. Nope, sounds good. And we're really not scout bashers here. We like, uh, I think analytics role is really just to to really highlight what's important and what should be looked at. But you, you obviously still need scouts, especially in football, where there's so many interacting parts to quant to actually you know take in this information and and make it usable in the first place. So, um, uh, really do appreciate that. Can you guys give just a quick breakdown of? Um, how sort of the draft guide works, how players are graded and evaluated within it. Um, it yeah, absolutely. It? So uh, we learn a lot of how we did things from uh, our director of football operations, Matt Manicharian, uh, who was a former scout himself in the NFL for the Saints and Browns for a number of years. And, uh, and he learned multiple different styles of scouting in the NFL. But the one that we've used with our process is role-based scouting. So 
um, as opposed to grading players by first round grade, second round grade, things like that. Um, we think it's much more pertinent, especially from our perspective um, of being an independent team. We're not, we're not scouting for one specific team. We think it's better to grade players by their role in the NFL. What role will they fulfill if they're an inside only player, if they're a change of pace back, if they're a, um, a versatile backup offensive lineman, something like that. Um, because we think that having, uh, saying somebody's a third round projection can be pretty subjective for different people. So um, we try to be more specific that way. And, and that's the process that we followed for number of years now. So this is the third annual book that we've put out. Yeah, indeed. And that makes a lot of sense. I actually, um, I did grab last year's as well, just because I was, well, I, in digging into the current one, I was actually really curious to see um, how the Packers graded out last year and Jordan Love specifically, kind of based on that. Um, partially because it's unusual for teams these days to actually draft a quarterback for development purposes. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, I know there's a lot of stats out there. If a guy doesn't start right away, he's almost always a bust. Um, and I did want to just see what you guys actually thought of that pick. And uh, I think he was graded as a 6.6, which is a low-end starter. And that that draft overall, I know uh, SIS didn't like, nobody really liked that draft, <laughs> including us. Uh, we are of the philosophy that running backs not the overstated running backs don't matter but second round pick kind of high for a running back and uh, third round pick very high for whatever Josiah DeGuara is so um, uh, I, I, I did want to uh, actually talk to you guys just quickly about um, do you think that they could have gotten if they assuming they wanted to take a quarterback you know um, it, it, assuming it's a good idea in the first place do you think they could have done better this year with a pretty good crop of quarterbacks um at the end of the draft versus kind of trading up for love last year yeah i mean we like jordan love um obviously a 6-6 is still a good grade it is, yeah. um we we have probably about the same amount of quarterbacks this year um so i think you could you know we have a, a trey lance or a mac jones at a 6-6 as well uh, you know, it's possible that those guys get taken a lot higher this year than, than where the Packers got Jordan Love last year. Uh, and like I said, Jordan Love's a, a you know, I think he's going to be a good quarterback. He's a guy that needed to come in and kind of sit behind somebody. But for the Packers and where they were situated, uh, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And if you really look at last year's draft, the next two picks were Jordan Brooks and Patrick Queen. Uh, <laughs> and that's that's the linebacker position that we thought. Um, you know, needed some some upgrading uh, for the Packers last year. And if you look at Jordan Brooks, 27 total points, Patrick Queen, 34 total points. Those are two guys that they made the uh, the SIS all rookie team for the linebacker um, position. Um, you know, those are two guys that, that really came in and played well. Um, Barnes and Martin did play well for the Packers. We think those are good finds late, especially. Um, but it was kind of weird. You know, you had a, a, a need at the linebacker position. You draft a quarterback that, uh, you know, you're going to sit and you don't really know how long you're going to sit. It may be, you know, another couple of years, depending on on what Rodgers is planning to do. Um, and, you know, you have those next two picks be those two guys, you know, the top linebackers in the class. Right. Uh, it's definitely an interesting thing. And linebacker uh, is still a top need, uh, you know, after 2020 as well. Uh, so it's something that, you know, could have been used last year and, and, and possibly this year again. Yeah, uh, I agree with all that. And I think when you look at this Packer team in hindsight, especially, uh, had you gone out and gotten um, a, a linebacker or a defensive back, which they're also sorely in need of, or any of the other sort of positions of need that sometimes take a year or two to develop, it would be nice to have them going into this year. But instead, they have a tight cap space and they're in a situation where they are going to need to find people in the draft that can contribute right away. Um, it's tricky to do if you kind of flip-flop last year and this year. You know, running backs can often come in and contribute right away. I think it's the position that does it most often. Um, getting those guys last year seems like kind of a waste in retrospect. And by the way, everybody in the Packer, like the, the APC room when we were watching the draft live altogether, thought Patrick Queen was coming off the board like 100% for sure before they drafted Love. And everybody was just like jaw to the floor when it wasn't. So <laughs> we, we all completely agree with you there. So... <laughs> Um, just sort of moving on to this year, the, uh, we, we all agree they need linebacker as well. It's an area of weakness and has been for the Packers kind of forever. Um, we, it's hard to think of the last good off-ball linebacker they actually had. Uh, I think you're going back to like Bryce Pop kind of times, not good. Um, but they also need cornerbacks a lot. Um, aside from Jair Alexander, they're a disaster. I actually think on the uh, the Super Bowl preview of the Off the Charts podcast, Matt Manicharian actually said, um, well, Tampa doesn't have anybody like Kevin King to target on the Chiefs. So... When you're getting name called out like that, it's not great. Kevin King is also a free agent and not won't be back. So, um, 
do you guys see any DBs that could kind of come in and start right away for them that might actually fall to them in the first or maybe even the second or third? Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, on the team pages section of the football rookie handbook, we have obviously the scouting reports. We have all the statistics that we put together. Yeah. We have a number of articles that our R&D staff puts together, but we also have team pages that break down um, usage on each team, the kind of breakdown of, of how they deploy their players and personnel and things. And um, and then obviously the total points rankings that we've been talking about. So cornerback is their third worst position, according to that percentile rank. Um, it's still slightly above average in, in the context of the NFL based on total points, but within the context of the Packers, where pretty much everything on the team is above average, something like that stands out as, as one of the yeah. bigger needs. Um, it makes sense. They don't have many below average position groups. And obviously with a number of free agents coming in next year, leaving the team potentially this year, um, that number could easily drop down moving forward. So um, quarterback is definitely could be a need, uh, especially because we noted on the team pages, they were number one in the NFL and utilizing dime personnels. So very DB heavy. Yep. And, uh, and if you're losing players in that position, let alone if the players that you're losing weren't even great in the first place, then that's definitely going to be a position you could look at. Um, generally, obviously, defense is going to be looked at moving forward. But as for some specific players, um, I know you mentioned Asante Samuel Jr. as a guy. Um, we were looking at a number of guys. Our top rankings, uh, Patrick Sertan's our number one cornerback. Yeah. Uh, after him are J.C. Horn and, and Caleb Farley, who are players that may not be there uh, with the 29th pick at the end of the first round. Um, so our cornerbacks right after that are Greg Newsome, Rodarius Williams, uh, Asante Samuel, and Eric Stokes Jr., are, are four names there that could definitely be there with that pick. Um, looking at how the Packers used their defense last year and moving forward, potentially they were um, very high in uh, in zone percentage last year. I think 68% of the time they, they use zone. Um, and then with Joe Barry coming in this year, um, Joe Barry comes from the Rams who were like 66%. They're still in the top 10 in zone percentage. Yeah. So they, they may be looking for a zone corner there. Um, Greg Williams is a guy who graded very highly in that uh, grade there. Um, Eric Stokes was actually tied for fourth best in the handbook class in zone coverage yards per snap tied with Asante Samuel. So there's a number of names there if they wanted to go that route. Okay. That makes a lot of sense too. Actually, that's one of the big problems with Kevin King is he always graded out much better as a man corner. Jared Alexander, kind of the opposite. Um, he always has graded out better as his own corner and you want to go with the Jair, not the King in that scenario. So he was really miscast as well. So that makes sense. So you mentioned it was the third worst, um, grouping that you guys had graded um what do you think are actually the biggest packer needs um out of anything that's out there right now yeah we actually had linebacker as uh the overall best need we've talked about that yep, a little bit I and get then that second one. worst <laughs> yeah that would make sense uh and second worst was actually defensive tackle um it, and again this it's something that is still above average it's still you know solid um, but in the term and in, in retrospect of, of how we're looking at the Packers, uh, those would be the top two needs that we're looking at. Yeah, and, and that one makes sense, too. It, that's really just Kenny Clark dragging up the entire position group and a bunch of really no names after that. I think the contract that they gave to Dean Lowry really stands out as as a uh, a miss there for them. That's a lot of wasted money on a player who really did not come around at all. So um, complete agreement there. They really do need that. Um the other one that we focus on a lot is, is wide receiver just because Devonte Adams, he, again, the, the Packers seem to actually have kind of position groups where there's a star that drags up everybody else, but maybe doesn't always have the best depth. And um, they got good play out of the receiver group. So I don't want to sound like I'm slamming them too hard. Um, Marquez Feldes-Scantling actually got far better as the season went on than when he started off. Um, but they are still the most dependent team on their number one receiver. He led the league in target share um, for all receivers. And everybody, every Packer analyst out there thought they'd go receiver last year just because the class was so good. It's good again this year. Um, do you see them maybe going that way? And do you see any good fits at the end of the at, at end of the first, second, or third there? Because they, they also kind of need a slot and another outside guy. They can get by with what they have. But um, and another star would probably help out a lot. Not even star. Another average player would help out a lot. Yeah. Uh, Adams is a guy that, I mean, he's one of the best in the, in the league. Um, and you know, that makes a lot of sense that he's, you know, one of the, the most targeted guys. Uh, he's probably the one guy that creates for himself the most, uh, on the team. You have, uh, you know, Valdez Scantling who can stretch the field vertically, uh, Lazard good in his, in his own aspect as well. Um, but those guys, you know, they they aren't irreplaceable guys, uh, to, you know, keep the team from, you know, maybe finding an upgrade. And, and like you said, last year's class was, was really deep. 
Um, we actually, you know, grayed out last year's better at the top. Um, but this year we have 48 receivers ranked in the, in the handbook this year. And uh, a, a lot of guys, a lot of similar depth throughout the draft uh, this year as to last year as yeah. well. Um, so definitely some guys that you can look at. Uh, if you're talking about early, um, Rashad Bateman is a guy that I think could be there uh, and kind of fits, uh, you know, what the, what the Packers would want. Um, you know, has the size speed combination you're looking for limited route tree, but he can win on slants a lot wins on double moves, uh, body control awareness with the ball in the air and in strong hands, uh, you know, a, a large catch radius. Um, and if you look at his 2019 over 1200 yards, 11 touchdowns, an average depth of target over 15 and his yards per target nice. was over 12 as well. And that was top, top five in the country. Um, he's a guy that, you know, really uh, can put it all together, has the size and the speed that you're looking for. Um, and, and can definitely be something that, that would fit in uh, to the Packers offense. I, I like him too. He did tweet out his 40 time the other day from a uh, random workout uh, saying that he was this fast and then citing himself as the source. I always like to see that kind of thing from receivers. So, um, Absolutely. We've had our, had our eye on him too. He looks like he might be a, a good one. So um, that's all good. And um, the last thing, so they drafted AJ Dillon last year and they are, the, the, you know, the LaFleur offense is sort of the Shanahan-style offense where they do use a lot of power back, power-type people. Um, they throw a lot out of 12 personnel. And Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are both free agents. Uh, Aaron Jones is probably gone because he's going to probably make a lot of money and the Packers don't have much available. Jamal Williams, I've kind of thought, might be back, but I don't think that's a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination. So it may just be Dylan and they probably are in need of sort of a, a scat back type or at least a decent pass blocking type. Um, but you know, more along the lines of a, a smaller back who can help in the passing game. Uh, I don't think they'll go, well, you can never predict the Packers on when they're going to pick a running back anymore. I don't think, but I don't think they'll go till the end of the draft. But um, do, do you guys, do you, do you first of all agree with that, that that's kind of a need that they have, or even if not a need per se, something they'll go after. And, um, any sort of smaller type backs that may fall to sort of the end of the draft where the Packers have gone hunting before, like Aaron Jones was a fifth rounder himself. So they do like to, to grab a few at the back end and see what happens. Yeah. So we definitely think that that could be a position. I mean, especially if um, both those guys walk out the door, they drafted Deja Dillon um, <clears throat> who does not have much passing game versatility. So you're going to need to yeah. have a guy to, to bring in to fill in those snaps, especially because, uh, I think Aaron Jones was tied for second on the team in targets last year. Um, another reason why you're going back to the, the receiver position there. Yep. We uh, we felt last year and this year that it, it was surprising that they didn't dip into that great wide receiver class last year. And, and we're looking for them to possibly do that this year to find a number two or somebody to um, Devontae Adams had 149 targets last year. Nobody even, I think tied for second place was 62. <laughs> so you're going to have to find somebody there to kind of take the load off them there. Um, you have Bateman outside. I was going to mention Kadarius Tony as a slot guy as yeah. well. If he falls there, a uh, big fan of him as, a, as kind of a gadget weapon and a slot guy. Um, but yeah, so going to the running back position as kind of a um, backup late rounder receiving type or just a passing down type. It's tough to find somebody who has the pass protection skills and the receiving ability uh, later in the draft. You have some early guys like uh, Javante Williams who can do both. You have some of those like early round guys that, that can do both really well, but Later, just for a receiving possibility, would be C.J. Marable. Would somebody be would be a really late pick Indeed. from Coastal Carolina? He's a four-year starter, three years at Coastal, and then he, he actually started every game as a true freshman at Presbyterian. Um, really natural receiving skills, uh, obviously in the passing game on swing routes and things like that, jet sweeps, but also obviously he shows off those skills as a as a pitch guy on their triple option offense. So really natural hands. Uh, comfortable in space. He's undersized, but very tough, but he's just somebody who hasn't had the reps and pass protection. So that's obviously going to be a, uh, something that he's going to have to learn moving forward. That's a big question mark, but he's also a good kickoff returner as well. Um, we also have Puka Williams is a guy from Kansas. He opted out part of the way through 2020 yeah. and another undersized guy, um, just 170 pounds, but, um, runs hard, very good play speed, elusiveness, change of direction, um, natural receiver, but again, not going to do a lot in pass protection. So, um, those are just receiving type guys yeah. later, but, uh, and then you obviously have a guy like Demetric Felton as well, who's truly a potential wide receiver um, as a receiving player as well. But um, yeah, those later on guys there, you're going to have to find somebody who uh, 
who will learn pass protection because uh, they're either just pa- catching the ball or just pass protecting at that point. That's actually one of the reasons I've kind of been assuming they'll have Williams back is just because it is hard to get those skills in the draft. Those tend to be things that you develop once you're at the pro level. And I don't think he'll be terribly expensive, but um, you know, he, he had a good season last year, especially if you look at his sort of uh, yards over expected average. In some ways, he was better than Jones. So um, they're crunched, and I could see that being a, tr- a problem. Um, everybody you just mentioned also, I think, is a good fit for their Tyler Irvin role, which they were much better when he was on the field last year, uh, setting up jet sweep motion. And I think they'll be in the market for somebody like that, too. So I think all those guys would sort of fit that, that as well. They, they kept trying to plug it with, like, Tavon Austin, and that's that didn't go anywhere because he's just not that good. But uh, <laughs> um, You just put Kadarius Tony running back. Yep, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, all right. So um, before before we get out of here, um, any other like big, big areas of need you might see them having that maybe we're not picking up on um, watching them every day? Um, I know that we've had a few dissenters saying they, they may go back to the well at tight end just because Robert Tanyan is actually um, they, they actually have to put a tender on him if they want to assuredly get him back. And they're really tight on money. So I think they're gonna have to make some hard decisions and they use tight ends a lot. So um, I do kind of wonder also if they might go to that well, but uh, that's one we're not quite sure on. Yeah, tight end is a position, uh, you know, there's a lot of good depth, uh, you know, especially at the top. But then whenever you get behind those, uh, you know, those top six or seven guys, there's a lot of good players that are either really good blockers or really good receivers. Um, there's a lot of uh, tight ends. And whenever if you get the handbook, you can, you can check those guys out. You have a guy um, maybe like a, a Trey McKitty, who's a, a kind of uses both um, good blocker, can still uh, catch the ball as well. Um, maybe like a hunter long, um, more of a receiving type, but uh, you know can do can do enough in the in the blocking game uh, to be effective there. Uh, and then you have a former quarterback, Tony Poljan, uh, wow. who's a guy that you know a big uh, you know big target can play in line, can kind of split him out a little bit too, uh, and kind of do both. So um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good um, you know options at the tight end position, whether they're wanting to go there, you know, towards the beginning, the middle, or even uh, you know late in the draft. All right, good to hear. Um, so, uh, the uh, the SIS rookie handbook. Um, you can, if you need it, if you want to get a physical copy, um, you can get that at actasports.com. Uh, if you want to get the good old Kindle copy, Amazon of course has that. Um, I did opt for a hard copy just because I have a bookshelf full of such things. Um, but I've been paging through it. it. It's quite long, but I got I've, I'm about three fourths of the way through it and got all the Packer content that I could possibly get out of it. Uh, it is a great read. Uh, if you like me, love a great giant annual before these things happen. Um, any last things you guys wanted to plug before I, I let you go? Yeah, really appreciate you having us on. Uh, you can also find some uh, film breakdowns uh, on, on some prospects uh, on our YouTube page. Uh, and, you know, if you're able to go over there and check that out. Um, but like I said, appreciate you having us on. Uh, definitely always fun talking about draft prospects, and you can definitely go out and get your get your SIS football rookie handbook. Right, yep. so- appreciate using all the stats and everything, um, plugging the stats and everything. Obviously, our charting operation is a big thing that we do here. Um, the scouting side is what we love and, and Nate and I like incorporating that, but at our core SIS is a charting operation. Yep. So, um, also we'll be posting our, our job posting for the fall coming up soon as well. If anybody would like to apply to uh, be a video scout for next year. All right. Keep that in mind. Anybody, any listeners, if, uh, if you are interested, that'll be popping up. Uh, well, John Todd, Nathan Cooper, thank you very much for joining me and, uh, everybody enjoy the handbook. Welcome, everybody, to the second half. Um, there actually has been some Packer news this week, so I thought I would have uh, Tex Western on to chat about it. First of all, really quick, why Matt is not on. Uh, Matt just had a kid, which is now on Twitter, so I can actually talk about it. And Matt has been in the process of having a kid for a while, so we've had to we've had to lay off him for a little bit, which is why we haven't had a new episode in just a while. But he'll be back and able to do things I don't know. Soon might be overstating it. I've had kids. I know how that goes. But um, you know, a month down the line, we'll probably be good to go. And Jar will be back intermittently as well. So, but uh, but text. There's been news. Let's let's start with um, uh, let's start with the coordinators. We have new coordinators, and they did their introductory introductory interviews. And uh, 
I think we had similar responses to both of them. We've talked about Joe Barry and how we don't like him on this podcast before for other reasons, but what did you think of Joe? Yeah, uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. First of all, and, and I'm happy. Yeah, happy to happy to be here subbing uh, for Matt. So so congrats to to the whole Matub family for, for the new edition. Um, Kid is adorable. He sent pictures yep, around. Definitely. So, um, but yeah, to the to the point at hand. Um, so so here's the thing with Joe Barry that that got me is we, we you and I kind of talked about this after his his initial press conference but it kind of sounded and it felt to me like he was the guy who who read the cribs notes on how to run a defense <laughs> um it, there was a question that Rob Domofsky asked and it was you know I, I I like to pick on Rob a little bit every once in a while but it was a good question and it was who is who is the guy on this roster that is your slot corner like who is that star guy who can who could play that slot? Is Jair going to play some slot? Is it going to be somebody else? And Joe started rambling for probably almost five minutes about how, well, in, in today's NFL, you, <laughs> you need to play a lot of, of sub packages and you need to play a slot corner a lot. And I, I'm sitting here thinking like, do you, do you not realize who you're replacing? Um, Mike, Mike Patton played more, five and six db packages than just about anybody else in the nfl and so it 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 was my 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 feeling from his press conference was he was the the rambling student who skimmed the reading assignment Mm -hmm. um i think i think we both had some some version of that um in conclusion the secondary is a contrast in styles something like some garbage you would say like that right and and you know he's he's talking about how playing inside playing in the slot is so much different than playing in the boundary and it 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 was funny because the 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 beat writers for the packers know these things um i would argue that most maybe not most but the the informed packers fans who follow the team and and follow you know any semblance of schematic um, football understand that you know most of the time you're playing with five dbs or more so it, it just seemed like it was a, a weird way to introduce yourself to spend a bunch of time rambling and explaining concepts that most of the people you're talking to already understand yeah it seemed very unprepared especially for the audience yeah. um yep. and it, it's one of those things where it maybe in if you're talking to certain people that's fine if you're talking to a bunch of novices that's fine but it shows a lack of preparation and understanding what the media is like here, probably what the yep. media was like at his old job where he didn't have to deal with them as often when he was on the Rams. Um, and it's especially concerning coming from a guy like Joe Barry, who's getting his third crack at this. Um, and you would think you would be extra prepared going into the situation um, with good explanations for everything, anticipating some questions, maybe doing a little practice on your interview first. <laughs> And not just showing up and giving kind of milk toast answers, um, and not even the milk toast. Like you can tell when somebody has practiced milk toast answers; those are yep. fine. This this both caught him off guard and caught him in a situation where he didn't know what to say. So not not a fan. Yeah, I, I've been in the situation where you know I've I've given those responses and kicked myself afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I've I've been in a situation where I've been prepared and, and knew what I was going to be talking about. And there's a, a very distinct difference there. And it, having been on both sides of that, I I could feel like I could tell which side of that <laughs> that that balance he was on in that press conference. Yep, same here. I, I have I have a, I work in a weird field and we have trade shows and we all know the same language as each other. And when a poser shows up, we can all pick them out instantly, and that's kind of what this felt like. So, um, that's we maybe shouldn't judge him too harshly, just because um, you know press conferences aren't everything. It's not everybody's skill set. Matt Lafleur was not great in his first press conference um, as the Packer head coach, and got a lot better over time. But Matt Lafleur also was also in his first head coaching job and hadn't really had to deal with this before, whereas Joe Barry's had to deal with this many, many, many times in the past. So uh, we'll see how that goes. What you... uh, yeah, and 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 again, in those ex- those past experiences, there's not a whole lot to suggest that he's going to be successful in a third go around. No. Nope. Um, granted, again, there's there's the argument that he's had no talent to deal with in Detroit or Washington, but um, at, at some point, um, 
yeah, you need to you need to be able to to cobble together some semblance of a effective defense with guys who are at least NFL caliber. So right, I mean, what you're looking for from a good defensive coach is if you have the 32nd best talent in the league, get the 25th best performance out of them. Yep. I can work with that, but that's never happened with him. So right. um, yeah, track record is bad. Maurice Strayton, on the other hand, not bad. Mm. Um, I, I think kind of exactly what you want from a special teams coach. Uh, no nonsense, militaristic approach. I think is good there. Yep. Um, you're dealing with guys kind of coming in and out of your scheme a lot of the time. It's mostly about motiv- motivation and gap discipline more than anything else. And you know this isn't a creative auteur situation. You need your guys to do what they do and not mess it up. And he really seemed to bring that home. Yeah, absolutely. And I I loved that he made no bones about it. That he he flat out said jk scott and hunter bradley your backs are against the wall like you need to perform better period end of story and what that also tells me is that this team is going to get some competition for them hopefully uh this summer this this spring whatever and and bring some guys into training camp who are going to push them for their jobs and force them to actually prove that they're you know worthy of those roster spots because the way they played in much of 2020, you know, they, they didn't really look like they were. So, you know, it, it's, I loved his, his uh, comment about calling, calling his meeting room, the truth room. And, um, <laughs> you know, he's, you know, he's not going to sugarcoat anything. He's going to, um, you know, be, be painfully blunt um, as he kind of was in his presser. And, and I really like that attitude, especially like you said, from a special teams coach, where you're only getting these guys for a, a small amount of time, you know, outside of their normal position group meeting rooms and and their offensive defensive drills and things. Yeah, I didn't know much about him before that press conference, um, other than just seeing his name on, very you know, the the, the team website and whatnot. But he was impressive. He is an impressive yeah. personality. So I'm. I feel like our special teams coordinators are often not, <laughs> are yes. often kind of lame, and this was much better. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it was funny because, you know, it was first, the, the order of the press conferences went LaFleur, Hackett, Barry, Drayton on that day, and it was all back to back to back to back, and after Barry talked, then Drayton went immediately, and I'm just, you know, after kind of being deflated and being like, okay, he's he's talking around things, he's, he's rambling, you know, Drayton comes up, and he's short, and he's to the point, and I just, I felt like I wanted to run through a wall for this guy, and I hope that, you know, that's, that's the energy that I feel like you want from a special teams coach. And it's not the same kind of energy that, that they've had from a Menenga who's a little less, you know, less intense, a little soft spoken, or even from a Ron Zook, who's more of like the rah, rah kind of guy, almost, almost like the Pete Carroll type of energy from Zook is (laughs) is the vibe that I get from him. I never get Um, corny energy. It seems to work for Pete Carroll, but it drives me crazy. And I'm sure some people on the team, it also drives crazy. Yeah, absolutely. But, but with Drayton, it was, it was just intensity. Um, and, and it was a, a very matter of fact, honest, this is what we're going to do. This is what I think of you. This is what you need to do better. Do it better. End of story. Yeah. And I loved it. Loved it too. Uh, looking forward to seeing special teams hopefully get better. Can't get much worse. So, um, yeah. should, should be all right on that front. All right, so uh, let, let's let's talk about what didn't happen in terms of franchise tags and, and sort of the salary cap generally because the Packers are in a kind of a tough spot cap-wise, and they do have roster holes. So um, there are certain positions probably best filled by the draft, but they won't be able to fill all of them. And um, looking two years down the line, there are some problems creeping up here. So, <laughs> um, first, you, you put something in Slack today just on – um, a, a specific rule to this season about not being able to bring cap space into the season to get around the cap. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, there was a provision that was introduced in the CBA last year where um, teams could, in theory, borrow cap money from the 2024 through 27 seasons um, and, and use it towards 2021. And I think the idea there being that you know, the NFL kind of knew that the, the TV market and the TV deals were going to blow up. Cap space was going to go through the roof in those, you know, those years down the line. And there might be some teams that might want to borrow some cap space from future years. Um, and what was interesting today is that 
you know, I feel like most people who were, who follow the league didn't even really realize that that was a provision in the CBA. I did. I did not. <laughs> yeah. And the NFL, you know, put out an, a memo as part of the, the memo setting the cap number this year that says, oh, yeah, this provision in the CBA that was going to let you borrow money for this year. Nope. Can't do it. Just just it's going to be a, a 182.5 mil cap, you know, plus whatever team adjustments. Um, but no borrowing money from from future years on the cap. So I kind of get the first provision because uh, they can yeah. if you know this might be a down year, especially and you want to smooth it out a little bit. I get that. I get why players would be in favor of it because they can get money front loaded. You know, money is more is worth more now than it is later. And I get why, oh, yeah. and, I get why and, owners and would players, want it too. Yeah, but the and the players who were voting on this are the ones who are going to be getting that extra money exactly. this year. You know, half of those guys are going to be out of the league by 2024 yes. anyway. And so, so stopping sense. it from happening seems to make no sense at all because why would the union possibly approve that? And if I, you're a team like the Saints, where you need every cap shenanigan in available to you to get under the cap in the first place. Who voted against this? <laughs> it, it seems totally insane. I, I don't really follow the logic at all. Um, the only thing that I can think of is, is the same philosophy that has led the owners to drive the cap down as far as they have this year, that we took the big hit in 2020 because of the lost revenues. We want the players to take the big hit this coming year in 2021 with you know, with a lower cap, with, with lost, lost income on salaries. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I genuinely think the product is going to suffer in 2021. I think the, the haves and the have nots are going to be farther separated yet again. And, um, I just think just in general, um, you're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of issues just from a competitive standpoint. I think so in this too. League. Um, yeah, it's, I think just competition is going to suffer and, um, you know, ultimately, you know, the, the, the highballs are still going to be there. The TV money is still going to roll in. The owners probably don't care at this point because they're going to get their money one way or the other. Yeah. It, I guess the, from the owner's perspective too, one thing you can say is there are a lot of good free agents this year. I, I have not compared it to past classes, but just in looking at the, the positions I care about, which are receiver and cornerback. It's a deep free agent class, and yeah. this really squeezes anybody. Uh, if there's a big class, it squeezes them because there's not as much money to go around for free agents. It may fa- it may force people to take some some cheap deals, some prove it deals they wouldn't normally take, waiting for the cap to go back up again. It may provide um, some. It may, it may keep some stars from getting big money. There's a lot of them out there, um, so yeah. it's a little bit of a weird one, and. Um, I, it, I think it is pennywise pound foolish. I think that the thought process behind the, the the borrowing was probably a good idea given the situation in the country, and uh, this seems completely counter counterintuitive to that. So, yeah, for sure. And and I mean, you mentioned the the pool's going to be bigger because teams are cutting players to get down under the cap. It was a bloodbath. Um, I mean, Emmanuel Sanders getting cut by the Saints. Um, again, the, the Saints. We could have an entire. We could talk for an hour about the saints cap shenanigans at this point. I, and, and I love every time they make a transaction at this point, I've been tweeting about it because it breaks my brain just to see how they're, they're going to figure out how to get back under this cap this year. After we need, So hard knocks, um, what it needed to do this year was go to the saints front office cap, yeah. cap space crunchers because every, they seem to have no governing philosophy at all. Like they franchise somebody one day and then they cut five people the next day and like, this makes no sense. You are still like thirty-three million over the cap, and you've cut like ten people, and you gave a guy a bunch of guaranteed money for no reason. <laughs> right, and and now you've got you've got a couple of guys playing on fifth-year options who can basically you know demand whatever they want in terms of a contract extension, knowing mm-hmm. that you need to restructure their deals to free up cap space for this next year. So Ryan Ramchick and Marshawn Latimer are going to get paid in the next seven days. And they're going to get paid a lot of money and they're going to be able to dictate those terms because the Saints basically have no choice but to extend those guys' contracts to free up that cap space for next year. Unfortunately for the Packers, they do not have a ton of cap space, which one of the things that's going to make this, I think, a less competitive year is if you have a lot of cap space, you can sign a lot of really good players for not much money. And Green Bay can't do that. They don't have a ton of space available. They can create some through extensions or restructures, but they're not in a good space. So... um, Aaron Jones, the franchise tag window came and went. 
Um, we didn't. I don't think neither of us expected them to tag anybody, but um, they didn't. And um, the one that was speculated by Rubes out there was Aaron Jones. Um, they've they've said some nice things about Aaron Jones that they're still negotiating with him, but um, he's gone. Right? There's there's zero chance. I I Nada. see. Yeah. I I will. I will do the proverbial eat of eating of the tweet if yeah. he re-signs with the Packers. Same. The Packers claim they offered him nine million a year, um, which that's too much for Aaron Jones. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think that fair market value for Aaron Jones is above ten million a year. Based I don't either. On the running back market, I, I think you know he'll he'll probably get he might get eleven to twelve from a place like Miami on the on the open market, um, and and. Honestly, at this point, more power to him. Yeah, if, get paid. If you you're get that back. money. Yes, go get it. Go get the guaranteed money. I the, the reports about you know being the the Jones camp and the Packers being pretty close on total money, but far apart on guaranteed money, makes sense because the Packers just don't guarantee anything beyond the signing bonus yeah. as a matter of principle. So um, I think that's that's the right way to go, especially at that position. And I wish him the best. Um, you know, I hope he does great in, in Miami or whatever other AFC team he ends up with. Yep. Same here. That's kind of my general running back philosophy. Um, wish you well, get paid, but not for my team. Um, yeah. hard cap leagues are tough like that. Um, yep. Corey Lindsley also, um, they purportedly haven't really been in touch with. He's probably gone. Honestly, if you're going to keep the run game intact, he was probably the person to target anyway, but he's going to make mad bank. And um. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think with both of those two guys, you're looking in the you know 10 to 12, maybe to 13 million a year range for Lindsley possibly. And I think for both of those guys, that's probably a fourth round compensatory pick yeah. in 22. And, you know, that's more than you're going to get for that. That might be more than you could get if you tried to, to tag Jones and trade him, um, which is something that you know, the NFL has tried to kind of crack down on right. anyway in recent years. So at this point, you know what, you know, let that's them what it is. let them test the market, see what they see, what they find out Monday afternoon. You know, if for some reason, you know, their market is, is drier than they're expecting, then maybe come back and have a conversation um, between you know Monday and Wednesday, but yeah, I think both of those guys will get more than ten mil a year um, on the on the open market, and you know I will I will applaud them and wish them well on their yeah. way. Agreed. So I think the other big elephant in the room here is that they need to sign people. Uh, aside from bringing back their free agents, they have massive holes in the secondary where you know Kevin King was bad and also not on the team anymore. Um, after Jair, there's not much at cornerback. And um, I don't know if a lot of Packer fans have noticed this, but starting in 2022, you don't actually have any receivers under contract. Uh, like like none, like zero. Uh, yep. So uh, aside from those two things, you have Jair needing to get extended probably sometime soon. Well, he is fifth-year option. And Adams needing to get extended sometime soon if you want to keep him, which I assume you do. And they're expensive. So... Um, you need receivers and you need cornerbacks real bad. Um, <laughs> I, I know you and Arkan were talking a little bit about the best way to attack, at least for the receiver position and probably through the draft. Um, I, I do agree with that, though. There's a lot of a lot of okay-ish receivers I'd be all right with as a sort of minor fill-in, but, uh, but I, I think that's right. Um, so just because you can't get the, the really good ones are going to be way too much. Like Galladay's going to be way too much. Godwin got franchised. Will Fuller's probably going to be way too much, even with his drugs and stuff. And I don't know anybody out there that you could see them reaching for at this point. I know Sanders yeah. was talked about today. Yeah, it, it it is such a top-heavy market for receiver this year. Um, you know, you mentioned Godwin getting franchised, Robinson getting franchised. He'll probably get traded because you know he is he wants out of He's Chicago. So and actually, wants to play He's, with a quarterback. Alan Robinson's but, tweets are great. Oh my god. But yeah, I mean the the guys like Galladay and Fuller are going to get they're probably going to get more than 15 mil a year. Yeah, you know, yeah. Galladay might get close to 20. So, you know, that's not an option. Um you're really looking at that, you know, mid to lower tier guys and and for those players you're looking at one or two year deals. So, you need to find a way to bring back Adams. And honestly, a, a Devonte Adams extension is one of the ways the Packers can free up cap space for 2021. So, 
do not be surprised if something happens between now and Tuesday yeah. on a on an extension for Adams, especially with him going into the last year of his contract. And I think on cap management, the one thing you want to avoid having to do is extend guys who you don't want to extend, extending them past their primes for a lot of money. Yeah. Um, this is uh, one of those more happy scenarios where you actually want to keep Devontae Adams around, and you may as well do it now because it really helps you out this year quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The guy, the guy's still only 28 years old, and and he's ready to to basically sign his third contract, um, coming off a year where he was, you know, a top two receiver, and he was the I don't best. Think he was number two. Yeah, he was the best so, receiver. He, he was. Yeah. O- yeah, over not 16 games to lead in yep. DYAR is incredible. Yeah, so so you you bring that guy back, you find a way to make it work, um, and yeah, it, it's a win win for both sides to to get the extension and um, and to free up that cap space yeah. for this year. But you know, the only other guy that you could feasibly have under contract for twenty two reasonably is Alan Lazard because yeah. he's an exclusive rights guy this year, which means you have your restricted free agency year in twenty two. So okay, fine. So you've got. Lazard and and hopefully Adams with an extension you need depth and you need quality depth behind that and I think that's where the draft is going to have to come into play um, you just don't have those players out there who with the cap space the Packers have they can't sign guys to, to real long-term deals practically speaking yep. so um, the the draft is is much more of a long-term need this year I think than it was last year when you know, when they decided not to, to take all those guys that were um, in that great class. And they're fortunate that 21 has a great class of receivers yet again. They really are. And and now you're looking at, I think, it, is it five picks within the top 150? I think they have with the comp picks coming yep. out today. So you've got to think that one of those guys, you know, one of those picks ends up being a receiver. One of those picks probably ends up being a cornerback also yeah. because you're in the same boat with corners. Um, you've got a lot of these mid-tier guys who you might be able to sign to a one or two-year deal, um, you know, to, to kind of be a bridge player. Um, but but who knows? I mean, Northwestern's Greg Newsom has been a guy who's been <laughs> mentioned a ton in the last like three days. Asante Samuel from from Florida State. You know, there, there's all these corners kind of in that bottom half of the first round that you could see. You know, potentially if the Packers really love one of those guys, maybe they they send that fourth-round comp pick and they move up three or four spots yeah, to grab their slide guy. right into that spot yep exactly so I, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest that that's the way they they go and then you know you mentioned jair you know he's going to get his fifth year option for 22 and then it's probably going to be the clinic the kenny clark mold they you know go and probably sign him to an extension sometime over the summer early you know next season in 22 uh to lock him up for a couple of years yeah. uh, because that's not that's not the kind of guy that the packers would ever let let get away um, <laughs> after his rookie contract. They had better not. Um, no. I didn't. I, I just did notice on on the wire that Bashad Breland is a free agent. I think he'll cost nothing, and he's been with the team before. It is secretly good. So get I, it, I would get like it, him. Get him bring him back on a yeah the vet minim, veteran minimum. Vet minimum guy. I think is yep. possible there. Yep, and I think that's that's where you you might be able to get Emmanuel Sanders that way too because the the Saints cut him with owing two million dollars of guaranteed salary this year. Yep. So, um, <laughs> so he's, I, he's doing all right. Yeah. Um, he's got 2 million coming into his pockets, no matter what, you know, give him an extra, you know, 950,000 or whatever the vet minimum is and, you know, bring him in and let him play in the slot a little bit. Yep. And he's still and fine. You draft he's, a guy. Yeah. He's then you draft a guy for 22 and beyond. Yeah, he's finished 23rd in DVOA in two consecutive seasons. So that's, that's a, perfectly that's fine. what I want out of my slot receiver. So that's yeah, good. that'll work. All right. Um, uh, so, uh, I think we can probably wrap up from here. One thing I did want to mention, I was I was on the Pro Football Focused Fantasy Podcast the other day with Ian Harlitz, and I, you know me, I'm not actually a, a big fantasy guy. I analyze real football and sometimes occasionally do well in fantasy because of it. Um, PFF, I didn't know they were going to do this, and I don't care. It's fine, but they've been tweeting out like like ads with my face on it and um, quotes from my podcast appearance. One of which was just that AJ Dillon is a good athlete, which I don't think this is controversial. Um, no, uh, he, no, it, he's it, a it really shouldn't superstar. be controversial at all. I mean, he ran what a, a four four two at six two and two hundred forty seven. Giants man, yes, and his like, RAS is like nine point eight seven or something like that. And um, I had. 
people saying like, wh- "Why should I listen to you?" And I, my fa- here's my favorite though. I had one guy um, post a screenshot of his 15 and 0 fantasy team at me, saying he didn't need my advice. But, uh, Fine. People bragging about their fan- their undefeated fantasy teams, I just find hilarious. I, I I can't believe someone would actually do it. It seems like a lot of bother to go through. As as Matub has often bragged about over the last several months, he won the APC Fantasy League he did. with not touching his lineup basically the entire season yep. until I reminded him that he probably should check his lineup before I played him <laughs> in the championship. So, yeah. Smart. That, that, you're, not, you're not impressing me much with your... You're fifteen and no record, there, buddy. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so fantasy, I, I got a lot of guff from fantasy people for for banal opinions that don't matter. By the way, which is the worst part of it. And again, that's not a controversial. It's not. It's stance. like saying it's like saying Tom Brady's a top five quarterback all time, and then having a bunch of people like say, "What do you know, idiot?" To you, like, <laughs> okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> we we can wrap it up. Um, so, um, any anything to plug before we get out of here, Tex? Just keep an eye on on Acme Packing Company all the next week or so. Um, with with the new league year starting uh, next Wednesday on the seventeenth, um, obviously we've got the the legal tampering period, so called, starting the, the best uh, Monday part of afternoon. The year. Oh yeah. Um, so so don't expect uh, to hear anything about you know the Packers actually signing any big name free agents <laughs> like they did two years ago. Yeah. I remember that was that was an insane like two hour block because I was in a town hall meeting. Uh, during that that time frame when the Packers signed Zadarius, Preston Smith, Billy Turner, and Adrian Amos, <laughs> and um, you know, I, I just I had to to thank my lucky stars that I had all of you guys to to help uh, carry the load there since I was I was out of commission. <laughs> it's for, always when you can't while. get around. Yep. Yeah, I, I remember exactly. that was insane, and uh, I oh, remember, it was but... it was literally within a two hour span that all four of those those deals yeah. came down. And at some point, you're no. just like, is that real? Is that true? It's the legal yeah. tampering period. Maybe somebody got something. Nope. All true. All correct. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, we got we got that. We'll, we'll be keeping an eye on the, the tenders. So, Big Bob Tanyan probably gets a second-round tender in the next couple of days. You got all your uh, exclusive rights tenders. Yep. Um, Should be fun. Know, not, not exactly sexy acquisitions, but, you know, the things you need to, to keep the status quo relatively – you know, stable yep. on the, the necessary things. Yep. All right. And I, uh, assuming the, the current sickness I'm dealing with allows me to, I should have uh, quarterback scarcity is over part two up tomorrow as well. So, yes. um, it, the, <laughs> the draft is loaded. It needs lots more editing. Don't look at it yet. Um, but, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, um, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back with more regular shows in the not too distant future. Um, and we'll have some little things along the way to, uh, to keep everybody sated until then too. Um, so thank you all for listening. Talk to you later. To get me through this life, baby, I want something else. Not listening when you say.